Well, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, we're going to be, Lord willing, finishing the chapter tonight as we talk about the end is approaching. Not the end of this study, (laughs) but the end of the world is approaching as we read and, and learn from Revelation chapter 11. Some of the things I'm going to say at the very first this evening are, are review, and it's intended to be review, uh, because a couple of weeks ago we Revelation 11, the first uh, six verses or so. I want to quickly review some of that, bring everybody up to speed and on the same page, and then go through the rest of the chapter. But as we look at Revelation chapter 11, the, the place is Jerusalem. The time is the first half of the tribulation. Israel is, once again, when we get to Revelation 11, Israel is once again worshiping at its restored temple, which was unknowingly built under the protection of the Antichrist. That is a huge sentence. You can let that sink in for just a moment. Israel, as when we come to this portion of Revelation, chronologically speaking, now we've come to that time where Israel is once again worshiping at its restored temple, which was unknowingly built under the protection of the Antichrist. For three and a half years, the Jews will participate in a form of worship that they've not been able to take part in since 70 A.D. I mean, that's just mind-blowing. That they haven't been able to participate in this type of worship since 70 A.D. And for three and a half years, they will be thrilled to be back and have their temple. In fact, I really believe that the restored temple will be revered all over the world. I believe that social media will probably be flooded with, with pictures and stories and, uh, about the new temple. There likely will be television specials, CNN and others, running Fox News, running television specials about temple sacrifices and, and the priestly duties of, uh, of the of the priests, and all of that will probably be broadcast around the world. The, the excitement, the interest in the temple will be unmatched by anything we've ever known, anything we've ever seen. Now think about this, though. The very fact that the temple sacrifice uh, will, be, will begin again, the, the fact that the sacrificial system will worship will be reinstated is really, in essence, a rejection of Christ. Because he came to be the final sacrifice. You know, you don't have time to read these references, but write them down if you'd like. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 28. That's Hebrews chapter 9, 24 through 28. Hebrews 10, 10. Hebrews 10, 10. Uh, and Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 18. Did it just go out again? Okay. So when the temple sacrifice is reinstated, it will in essence be a rejection of Jesus Christ because he came to be the final sacrifice for sins. And during this time when millions will reject Christ, when millions will begin to turn back to the blood of bulls and lambs, God will bring two witnesses to center stage. God will bring two men 
into the forefront. And, and why two? Talk to me for a moment. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Why two witnesses? Why is God bringing two witnesses to the stage? Say it louder. Yes. Uh, look in Deuteronomy 19.15 real quick. Deuteronomy 19.15. Somebody read that for us when you get it. Right. From the Old Testament perspective, the, the, uh, the Old Testament uh, regulations, you had to have two, witness to, two witnesses to validate something. So God, in this time when the Old Testament system of sacrifice will be reinstated, will bring to the stage of world history, he'll bring two witnesses. And the identity of those two witnesses are unknown, but we talked about the possibility of who, of who they are. Do you remember who they are or who they might be? Moses and Elijah, uh, because Elijah was able to shut up the sky, no rain, through prayer, and Moses turning the water into blood, uh, those things mentioned in verse 6. We also talked about, again, this is a review, we talked about that these two witnesses are going to serve as God's spokesman to the world, that they're given divine power, and that they're given a definite timetable. How long will they be there to prophesy? 1260 days, or which is the equivalent of three and a half years. And during those three and a half year period, during that three and a half year period, these men will be invincible. Let's look at verse uh, 5. If anyone tries to harm them, that is these two witnesses that God will bring to the center stage, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. So these men are invincible for a time. Verse 6, these men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as, as often as they want. And then at the end of this three and a half years, when their work is done, the Antichrist will then take center stage. All of that is review to bring us now to the verse 7 and following. I want you to follow along as we follow on the outline and follow in your text. I want to talk to you first of all about the martyrdom of these witnesses. These two prophets will not be popular preachers. Verse 5 indicates that some will try to harm them. Look how it's stated in verse 5. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths to devour their enemies. In other words, they will have enemies. And and there will be those who will try to harm them. And during that time, they will be very, very unpopular preachers. Now, here's what I want you to try to figure out. Why do you think they'll be so unpopular? Talk to me. Why do you think they'll be so unpopular? They're preaching the truth. Absolutely. Sir? They don't agree with the message. Have, have we not already seen a little bit of that in society today? Have we not already seen that when you stand for the truth, all of a sudden society begins to turn on you? 
I mean, just wasn't it, I think it was just this week, uh, this just popped in my mind, so I, I haven't researched it, uh, but wasn't it this week where there was a general who was disinvited, he was invited to speak at a college or something, and then they found out that good, oh God help us, he, he believed the Bible, and so he was disinvited, right? Because he, he, was, he was too conservative for some people. I'm not talking conservative politically, I'm talking conservative theologically. And when a certain group found out of his conservative viewpoints, then they pressured the leadership to disinvite this three or four star general, this war hero. And we've already seen glimpses of that. And what we will see during this time will be magnified extremely beyond that. These two witnesses will likely... I believe, be so unpopular because, as you said, they'll preach the truth. But more specifically, here's, this is my opinion. I think these two witnesses will likely condemn the concept of a one-world government. They'll be speaking out against the concept of a one-world government. And they will likely speak against the temple worship and the sacrifice that occurs there. As the world is, is going crazy with excitement that the temple is rebuilt and, and the, the worship that will be occurring there, there will be two prophets who will be speaking against that more than likely, saying that there has already been a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the people of the world will be infuriated and, listen carefully, the Antichrist will be infuriated and will respond in hatred toward these two. How do you know that? Because what it says in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Now when they have finished their testimony, when their time is done, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. This is the first of 36 references to the beast in Revelation. And apparently, his killing the witnesses is the first great act that will cause him to have a great following. The beast himself will rise up and absolutely martyr, kill these two prophets. Now, you need to understand something. This, tune in if you, if you haven't yet. Tune in because this, this is amazing. During the tribulation period, the people of the world will be absolutely depraved and wicked. And there's three pieces of evidence, biblical evidence. I want to show you the depth of their depravity during this time. First of all, look in verse 8. In verse 8, it says this, their bodies, at these prophets who have been killed, these two witnesses, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Jerusalem will be called, will be referenced as Sodom and Egypt. I put on your notes that Sodom is a symbol of immorality and depravity. You know about Sodom and Gomorrah. The things that will be happening in Jerusalem will be so depraved, it will be so wicked, it will be so immoral, that, that it, the, Jerusalem, God's holy city, will be known by some as Sodom. By others, it will be called Egypt. Egypt is a symbol of rebellion and slavery. And so the depth of the depravity, the wickedness that will be occurring during this time is just beyond our imagination, and it will be happening right there in Jerusalem, God's holy city. Another sign of the depravity of this time is in verses 8 and 9. The bodies will lie in the street of the great city. 
And look in verse 9. How long will these bodies lie in the, city, in the streets of the city? Three and a half days. Three and a half days. The bodies will lie there. But that's not all. Let's just read the text. Verse 8, their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and, and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. Our, our generation is the first generation that can literally see that verse fulfilled. Think about this. For years, critics would read that verse and would laugh at its prediction. For years, critics would announce there is no way that in three and a half days, people from every tribe, language, and nation could see the two witnesses lying in the street. Critics would look at the Word of God and point to that as, as evidence of the inaccuracies in the Word of God, that there's just no way in three and a half days everybody from all over the world could see these bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. In fact, if you're older than me, your parents probably couldn't explain that verse, or at least your grandparents had no way of explaining this verse, even if they believed the Bible. Imagine, for example, perhaps reading this verse in, let's say, 1935. In 1935, it was not possible for people from every tribe, country, and nation to see these two people lying in the streets in three and a half days? Is that possible today? Absolutely. Now, now listen real carefully. This is so important. You see, ours is the CNN generation, isn't it? You remember some of you... Years ago when we had the Persian Gulf War, for the first time, we watched bombs being dropped on Baghdad from the comfort of our living rooms. We sat on our couches and we watched bombs being dropped on Baghdad in real time. This is one more indication that we are moving closer to the end of the age because another piece of the puzzle is now in place. 30 years ago, this could not have occurred. Now it can. 30 years ago, people could not explain this verse. Now we look at that verse and say, well, of course they can. Let's just use a satellite. You see, let that be a reminder to you that in those times when you read the Bible and you can't understand it and somebody tries to mock what it says, let it be a reminder to you that just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not going to occur. Just because you can't explain it doesn't mean it's not accurate. Because God sees what you don't see and God knows what you don't know. And just because your knowledge is limited doesn't mean that God's knowledge is limited. Just because your power is limited doesn't mean that God's power is limited. Is anybody listening tonight? I love this verse. Another piece of the puzzle is now in place. We are that much closer to what we're reading about occurring. So, so we're talking about the three signs of the depravity of this this time period, the depravity of mankind. And uh, the, the first one was 
what Jerusalem would be called. The second is that for three and a half days, the, the bodies of these people will be laid in the streets. But the third sign of the, tra- of the depravity is in verse 10. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them, over these dead prophets, and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Isn't that amazing? That during this time period, there will be a ghoulish display of the prophets' bodies in the streets, but that won't be enough. The crowd will actually turn their death into a holiday. They'll start sending gifts to one another. Hell will have a holiday as they're sending gifts to one another, celebrating the death of the two witnesses that are laying in the streets of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to read verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 11. I want you to read verse 11, and I want you to tell me the first word in verse 11. But. What does that for you English teachers? Uh, what does that word but imply? Talk to teachers. Come on. Okay, you don't have to be an English teacher. Just tell me what it means. Sir? However. Contrast. Not through. These are all good. Verse 11 The word but implies God is about to do something. Verse 11. But. (laughs) This is so good. After the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Let's talk about the resurrection of these witnesses. Next on your outline. Notice that the phrase says, a breath of life from God entered them. The Antichrist is focused on death, but God is the one who brings about life. And remember what Jesus said about Satan when he was on the earth. Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life. The resurrection of these two witnesses will bring about a sudden end to the worldwide party. There's going to be this big celebration. People are going to be exchanging gifts. People are going to be celebrating. And then suddenly And I believe it will still be on national television or international television. While everybody is celebrating, somebody's going to have their TV on, and all of a sudden they're going to say, look at that. And they'll probably actually be screaming when they see it. And here's what happens. One more time. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. You see, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Antichrist has done all that he could to destroy God's prophets. And all God has to do, watch this, all God has to do is go. And all of a sudden, what the Antichrist destroyed, God brought back to life. But after three and a half days, 
a breath of life from God entered them. And I love this. And they stood on their feet. And terror struck those who saw him, saw them. Uh, let me tell you what's going to happen in Shorter's translation. Let me put it in Shorter's translation. The Mardi Gras is going to stop. Suddenly. All of a sudden, the television cameras will be focused, that were, that were focused on these two lifeless dead bodies. Those television cameras, all of a sudden, will witness what they never dreamed they would witness. And the whole world will watch in terror as the two prophets stand to their feet. But they don't just stand to their feet. They don't just get up. Uh, let's talk thirdly about the ascension of these two witnesses. Because this is where it really gets interesting. It says, then, then they heard a loud voice from where, church? From heaven. Who do you suppose is in charge? Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, to these two prophets, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their, what's that next word? Other enemies did this. Their enemies stood there watching it. And millions and millions of people will likely see it on television, on CNN and Fox News and all those other things. All of a sudden, they will ascend back to heaven. Now, you need to remember something. I know you know this, but let me remind you. You need to remember that when Jesus resurrected from heaven, you know, there was this elaborate hoax. What did the Jewish leaders, in fact, I was reading about this in my quiet time just this morning. What did the Jewish leaders do to, to establish this hoax to try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus? What did they do? All right, explain how it happened though. It's in Matthew chapter 28. I was reading it just this morning. Religious leaders gave the Roman soldiers money to say, here's what you need to say. You need to say that, the, that the, his followers came and stole his body. Now, that was the attempt to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. However, the world will not be able to claim... Uh, or, or to, to establish any kind of a hoax here because the world will see this happen. His enemies are looking on, and probably television is looking on, and I believe that the impact of this is going to be hard to describe. The sudden shock, the sudden terror will be unnerving as it spreads across the world, and I believe that's what's indicated when it says, terror struck those who saw them. It was an unnerving thing to see that these two prophets who were dead for three and a half days all of a sudden stood up, yawned, shortest translation, stood up, yawned, maybe stretched a little bit, and all of a sudden there was this loud voice that said, come up here. And all of a sudden they began to rise into heaven. And guess what happens next? Remember what Jerusalem was called? What was the nicknames for Jerusalem? Sodom and Egypt. 
God judged both of those nations, didn't He? In the Old Testament. Look what happens in verse 13. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. And a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were, what's that next word? They were what? Terrified. You would be too, wouldn't you? You've just seen two dead men get up and then ascend into heaven. You've now witnessed an earthquake and a tenth of the city falls into rubble. 7,000 people die in that earthquake. The fear of God will begin to enter the hearts of the people who survive. Which brings us to verse 13. Uh, the second half of verse 13. The survivors were terrified, and this is so interesting, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now, there's, there's great debate about what that means, that they gave glory to the God of heaven. Uh, some see this not as an act of repentance, but rather a terrified realization that God is right and they were wrong. A terrified realization that, that God is more powerful uh, than the Antichrist. Others believe that what was happening here in verse 13 is that the survivors saw what happened, changed their heart and their mind, and actually embraced the message of the two witnesses. I, I don't know which it is. I, I tend to believe that it might be the fact that this was not really an act of repentance, but just the terrified realization that Christ and not the Antichrist is Lord of all. A terrified realization that the power they saw displayed was greater than the Antichrist. I think, perhaps, that may be what we are witnessing in verse 13. And then we come to number four on your notes, an announcement of the end, that the end is near. Uh, the end is near, but it's not there yet. It's, but it's close enough that an announcement could be made. You know, if you go to a movie... And if you can save up your money and afford to go to a movie. If you go to a movie, there's always something before the movie. What is it? Previews. Previews of coming attractions. And there's about 20 minutes of those usually, seems like. And the previews of coming attractions. So you'll see what's coming. In other words, the movie's not here yet. It's not being played yet. But it is going to be played. And the preview is to show you what it's going to be like. I want you to think of these verses, verses 11 or 15 through 19, as a preview of the coming attraction, as a preview of what's going to happen. The end is not here yet, but the end is coming. And this is a preview of what it's going to be, what we can expect when God brings the great tribulation to a close. Let's see what happens. Verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. In other words, Satan has lost control of his dominion. And now Christ has, has firmly established His control, so the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign 
forever and ever. Verse 16, and the 24 elders who are seated on their thrones, representing all the Old Testament and the New Testament saints, and representing us as well, and the 24 elders who are seated on their thrones before God, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Verse 18, the nations were, what's that word? The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. You might want to mark that in the side note of your Bible or in the side note of, of your note sheet there. Your anger has come. Satan's day is quickly drawing to a close. And the wrath of God is about to be displayed. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. There's coming a day when God will defeat all of His enemies at the battle of Armageddon. We're not there yet, but there's, that day is coming. That day has not yet arrived, but that day is on the horizon. And that day is approaching faster than perhaps we realize. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us today that even when the world celebrates two prophets of yours who have lost their life, that all you have to do is to breathe, breathe life back into them. And they'll stand back on their feet. Thank you for showing us, reminding us that you ultimately are Lord. And though in the time of great tribulation, the Antichrist will have lots of power, and he'll, there will be lots of perversion, and there will be lots of, of evil and, and disturbing things happening. Thank you for reminding us of this day that is coming when you will establish your reign over all the world. I'm so grateful that you know us and we know you and you've given us the instruction ahead of time so we need not fear. So it's in the name of Jesus who is our Savior and our soon coming King that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.